You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I want to speak to you on the subject, buried. Somebody say buried. When I was a teenager, there was a a made-for-TV movie that came on the USA Network on May the 9th, 1990. I know that because it was, it was a movie that, that changed my outlook on life. And it actually like, made me think of something that I had never thought about before. The name of the movie was Buried Alive. Buried Alive. I had never thought about being buried alive until I watched that movie. And then I was like, oh no. Uh-oh. This movie, I'm not going to give too much of it away, but as you can imagine, there's somebody buried alive in the movie, right? I mean, so, you know, there's no spoiler alert needed for that. But, but the premise of the movie, uh, long story short, there's, there's an, a, a couple and, and the wife is unfaithful. And with the help of her lover, she decides to give her husband a toxin, which will cause him to go into cardiac arrest. This is the way they plan to kill him. It's untraceable. And so he would go into cardiac arrest and upon his death, they bury him. Presuming that he is dead and buried, they are half right. He's buried, but he wasn't dead. And so the man opens his eyes in his casket buried in the ground. Can you imagine? It, so now you know why it changed my life, right? You're like, man, I can't imagine opening my eyes in a casket. And of course, the lighting was just right in the casket where you could see the reaction on his face. It's amazing, amazing. And... Um, and, and he, he eventually, he, he finds a way to dig his, his way out of this. And the chaos that ensues, it is just entertaining to say the least. I highly recommend that you don't watch this movie. But uh, back then, back then it was, it was a made-for-TV movie. In just a few weeks, it went, it went to VHS. And you could go down to Blockbuster and you could rent it. And um, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about in the room, a VHS tape and... What is this blockbuster you speak of? <laughs> I'm getting old. That's just what it is. I'm getting old. So I, I got to thinking about this movie a little bit, and, and I need you to hear me, okay? Because some, somebody's going to judge me and want to send an email. Just hear my words, okay? If I wanted to kill my wife, I don't. I don't. I don't. Hear me. Hear me. I don't want to kill my wife. I love my wife. I could never do this to my wife. I love my wife. You understand that, right? Let's just say that I didn't. And I wanted to kill her. I I could never do this to her. I couldn't. I could never do this to her. Because at the moment that my wife opened her eyes in a casket, she wouldn't even have to be six feet under. If she opened her eyes in, in that space... That woman would let out a seismic scream that would cause a fault line shift on the east coast of the United States of America, causing Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and parts of Virginia, I'm certain, would fall off into the ocean and we would all be buried alive. That woman is claustrophobic. And this is how much I love my wife. Often in crowded elevators... I like get right up on her like she's in the corner and I'm like right up on her just to add to it. It's horrible, right? You can email me about that, okay? I don't want to kill my wife, but, but, but I did some research and apparently there is a name for the fear of being buried alive. It's called taphophobia. Anybody ever heard of this, taphophobia? 
bless your heart. You have this fear, don't you? Yeah. One time in human history, this was a legitimate concern. It was such a concern that if you go and do the research, you'll find people were submitting patents and stuff because they were trying to create these, these graves. Uh, one, one that I looked at, and they actually have the drawing out for it. It had a bell on the back of the, the headstone with a rope that went down into the ground, and they put it in the hands of the deceased just in case they wake up. They can ring the bell. <laughs> there was another one that I saw that it had a, a ladder and, and the ladder would actually, if, if, if they were to awaken, they could position that ladder and it would come up inside of the headstone. And it, it's crazy stuff. You should research it on your own sometimes if you're scared of this. But um, it, this was a legitimate concern. As early as the 14th century, there are accounts of people being buried alive. Take, for instance, the, the Scottish Catholic, Catholic priest. He was also a professor. He, he was a philosopher and a theologian. John Duns Scotus. He, a lot of people just called him Duns Scotus. Maybe you've read some of the, the work about him. But, but it's, reported, it's reported that when they opened his tomb, get this, they found his body outside of the casket. And when they looked at his hands... They were all messed up from him trying to claw his way out. How many just want to pray right now? You're just like, let's pray, get this over with, and, and get out of here. Because, I mean, this is depressing, right? I, I read of this one in 17th century England. It's documented that, one, the, the, um, that Al Alice Blunden was, was buried alive. It, it's documented. And, and apparently what happened was that she was very, um, um, let's just say, knocked out after drinking a large amount of poppy tea. Guess it's a thing. And she, she drank poppy tea. It, it drugged her and put her in like this comatose state. And, and her family and even the family doctor presumed her dead. They said that the doctor held a mirror up to her nostrils just to see if there were any hairs or anything moving in her nostrils. And, and they all presumed she was dead. Two days, two days after she was buried, there were some children playing in the playground. Why? I have no idea. But there were children playing in the playground. And, and they hear something. They get closer to her grave. It's a fresh grave. They get closer to the grave two days after she's buried, and they hear something. They run and tell the headmaster at the school. He comes over, verifies it. They contact the, the right authorities. Here's what scares me. 17th century. It takes them two days to exhume the body, to exhume her out of there. Sure enough, they open the casket. She's alive, but she's barely hanging on. They put her back in because they think that there's just not much time left. They put her back in the same casket, put somebody on patrol, and she died early the next morning. They just covered her up. Crazy, right? Some of you are like, what have I gotten myself into? It's, it gets better. As recently as 2014. 2014. One Walter Williams in the United States, Walter Williams was pronounced dead. The proper paperwork had been completed. His body was put into a body bag. He is taken to the funeral home, and, and they are willing him to the embalming room. Now, embalming is what they do to make sure you're not alive. You, kind of kidding, but not. I mean, because you, you're not going to survive that. They're willing him to the embalming room when someone sees his leg twitch underneath the sheet. Sure enough, he starts moving his legs. They inspect him, and he is breathing. He is breathing. But it was a short-lived reprieve because two weeks later, it was the final straw. He was done. Um, I, I'm telling you, 
this, this is crazy, crazy stuff that you can't make this kind of stuff up. Now, now with all of that said, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. When Jesus was buried, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were concerned not with Jesus being buried alive. That wasn't their concern. They were worried that some of the, the disciples and the close followers of Christ were going to come and steal his body. Because they had heard Jesus say things like, in three days I'll rebuild the temple. And in three days I will rise again. They, they knew what Jesus had said. And so they weren't worried about Jesus coming back to life. They weren't worried about Jesus being alive in the grave. They were worried about dishonest people trying to prove that, that, that he was the Messiah. And so they, they begged the Romans. They said, can we please, can we please put put Roman guards there. And sure enough, at the grave, they put um, armed soldiers at the grave to guard uh, 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 against uh, body snatchers. That's what they were concerned with, someone coming to take him. As far as they were concerned, he was buried. Let's keep him that way. And some of you, you've got people in your life that they consider you buried, and they just want to keep you that way. That, that, that's That's their goal for you. Let, let's don't let them live. Let's don't let them find freedom. We want to keep them buried. That's, the, that's what the enemy wants over your life. He does not want you to find freedom from that. And, and Jesus, Jesus, he had a different way of looking at it. They saw him as being buried. Jesus had a completely different way of looking at it. And during that last week of his life, that, that the last week of his earthly ministry, we find where Jesus, before he was arrested, before he was eventually crucified, he, he shares some of this information with his disciples. Now, now picture this. The beginning of the week, before he's crucified, the beginning of the week, he rides into Jerusalem, and there's a multitude, a crowd gathered on the streets. It's like a, it's like a ticker tape parade, and, and they're, they're celebrating Jesus riding into Jerusalem. This was a special Passover. And they have their palm branches, and there's people standing there that believe that he's the Messiah. And, and so they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, as, as, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Throughout that week, the curiosity gets uh, to, to many people, and they want to have some conversations with Jesus. They want to find out if this man is who he says that he is. And so we pick it up at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. If you don't have your Bible with you today, it's going to be on the screen, so, so please follow along with me. In John chapter 12 and verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. Now, this is where Jesus starts talking. So, so listen to the words of Christ. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let's pause right there. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus uses this word glorified to describe a situation that we probably wouldn't use the same word to describe. He defines what he is about to go through with this word glorified. You and I know the rest of the story. His disciples do not. We know the rest of the story. We know what he's about to encounter. We know that he is, is about to be betrayed by one of his own. We know that he's going to be arrested. We know that he is going to be illegally tried 
he is going to be beaten and eventually crucified. And Jesus describes this as the time has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's not very glorious to us. We would never describe this event as, as, as Jesus being glorified, but yet he does. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let's conf- continue with verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I really want our focus verse today to be verse 24. Verse 24, if you will, just read it again with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, for the horticulturists in the room, you understand what I'm talking about when, when, when Jesus says this. You know exactly what this means. So, so let, let me just put everybody on the same playing field. We understand that within a piece of fruit, there's seed. It may be one seed. It may be numerous seeds. But we know that, that it produces seeds. When you take one of those seeds and you plant that seed into the ground, if it springs forth and it brings forth an, another plant or another tree then it will produce multiple fruit. And, and, and from there, it just begins to multiply. And so Jesus says these words, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So as long as it's just one seed that has not been planted into the earth, it just stays one seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So once it's planted into the earth, it will bring forth much fruit. Jesus likens his impending death to grain seed being planted into the earth. And he explains that this is the only way that it can bear much fruit. Hear me out. I don't want to lose you, but I I need you to stay with me because this is what your heavenly father wants from your life. Every single one of us. There is no one that is exempt from this. If you are breathing right now, the goal of your life and the plans that God has for you is for your life to bear much fruit. Now, now I don't have time to get into all of it today, but Jesus, um, uh, on, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he walks his disciples through a vineyard and he explains this to them. And, and he explains the process to them. And he tells them, he says, listen, if you have some fruit, that's not the goal. If you bear some fruit, God's going to prune you so that you can bear more fruit. But he continues on and he says, more fruit is not the goal either. God's not satisfied with some fruit. He's not satisfied with more fruit. The goal for your life is God wants you to reach a place to where you will have much fruit in your life. Much fruit. The goal of your life, the reason why you are living, the reason why you are breathing is because God wants your life to produce much fruit. And and that can look uh, uh, many various different ways. For some people, and, and for all of us actually, Leading someone to Jesus Christ, leading them to a relationship with Jesus Christ is is fruit. That's us bearing fruit. That's us uh, showing what Christ has done in us, and it glorifies God. We all can can relate to that. Listen, some of you are here today because you simply accepted an invitation from someone to be in church on Easter Sunday. 
understand the, their life and, and, and inviting you here, it, it is part of them bearing fruit. They are encouraging you to be here, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been praying for you. We've been praying that you would feel that, that urgency. But, but that's what fruit is out of our lives. For some people, it, it, it's giving. It's, it's giving to missions. It's giving to the less fortunate. It's giving to the kingdom of God to keep ministry moving forward. When you give just a cup of cold water in his name, it's glorifying God. When, when you clothe the poor, when you, when you feed the sick, when you, when you, when, when you care and you, you show the love of Christ, that is fruit exuding from our lives because it's bringing glory to God. And so I could go on and on from the stage today about all the different types of fruit that believers can bear if we are doing these things to glorify God. Even serving at an at a egg hunt yesterday, that is, is bearing fruit, and, and that, is, that, that is glorifying God. And so that is the goal of your heavenly Father. Get this, during his last week of his life, this is a subject that Jesus continued to speak about. Over and over and over again, he keeps talking about this. Three chapters later, same week, it is, it is the week of his crucifixion, the week before his crucifixion, same week in Jerusalem, Three chapters later, listen to what happens. John 15 and 2, Jesus says these words. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You go down to verse 8 and it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there it is. Jesus spells it out. You become a follower of Christ. You become a disciple of Christ when you bear much fruit. God is glorified by fruit in the believer's life. So it begs to ask the question, how do you bear fruit? What's the process? How do we get there? How do we bear fruit? And the first step of this process is simply this. You must be planted. You've got to be planted. And here's the problem. We all want the harvest, but few people want to be planted. We all want the abundance. But few people want to go through the planting process. We all want to experience the fruit. But not everybody wants to be planted because planting is that process. Understand this. No one ever planted a tree. Stay with me. No one ever just planted a tree. It, it doesn't work like that. Someone planted a seed in the hopes of it becoming a tree. Now, if you're like me, you've cheated. And you went to Lowe's or you went to Home Depot or you went to the local nursery. And you transplanted a tree. And you planted it. But that doesn't mean you planted the tree. Because no one plants a tree. You plant a seed. And then eventually, if it takes root, it, it, it grows into the tree or it grows into the plant. Planting is a process, though. Planting is not easy. Because planting, when you're being planted, the process, it, it can get cold. It, it can be very lonely when you're being planted. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for anybody in the room today. When, when, when God is taking you through a planting process, it can be one of the most loneliest times of your life. When God is planting you, it, it's dark sometimes. 
it's so dark, and you're not sure you're going to make it. Few people want to go through this process, and so many times we, we push back against it because it's not easy. But understand that Jesus was being planted long before they put him in a tomb. Long before they placed him in a tomb, before they took him off the cross, carried him to a borrowed tomb, by the way, and put him in that tomb. Uh, Long before that, he was already being planted. Think about it. He's at the Last Supper, the last meal that he will have with his disciples. He is sitting at a table with his 12 disciples, and one of them he knows is going to betray him. And he sits there, and he has a meal. He shares food. He shares drink with Judas, who was about to betray him. You see, sometimes when you're being planted, it, it feels like you're being betrayed. Some of the people that are closest to you, they don't get you. They don't understand you, and they require things out of you that you're not able to give them. And, and it's a planting process. You, you have to remember that after that meal that night, Jesus and, and three of his closest friends, three of his closest disciples, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and while they're at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows that he needs to pray because he knows what's about to happen. So he looks at those disciples and he says, I, I just need you to stay awake, stay on watch, because Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. And, and it's under the cover of darkness. And so the, I've, I've stood there in the Garden of Gethsemane and you can see the gate that they would walk out of the city gates of Jerusalem and they would have been carrying torches. And these men, if they're awake, they just can tell Jesus, hey, they're on their way. And, and he could have been a little bit you know, prepared for that. He tells his disciples, he said, I just want you to stay awake. Three of his closest friends, just stay awake for me. Just stay awake. He goes and he prays, and when he comes back, they're sleeping. They can't even stay awake. He, he goes back, he wakes them up and says, just stay awake for me. He goes back, and they keep falling asleep on the man. Because sometimes when you're being planted, it's just a lonely place. It, it, just, it feels like no one else cares. No one else wants to, to share the burden with you. After he's arrested that night in the garden, after he's arrested, all of his disciples desert him. They all run off and leave him. He's poured three and a half years into their lives, and now they all leave him, and no one wants to be there with him. He's hanging on a cross, and the only one that we find out that comes to the foot of the cross is John because he's there with the mother of Christ. You can't find the other ones anywhere. But think about this. He's even hanging on a cross, and he's feeling that loneliness. And he looks up to heaven, and he says these words. It's so human. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in the moment of being planted, it is one of the loneliest places that you will ever find yourself. And there are times in life that it feels like it's just too much to bear. And so you start asking yourself questions, or more importantly, you start asking God questions. And you're like, why? Why, God? Why me? Why now? Everything was going so good in life. Why now? Or, or God, why me again? Haven't I gone through enough this year already? Why me again? Why, 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 God? And if you're not careful over time, you'll start to despise the circumstances. 
You'll start hating the process, not even understanding that you're being planted. And you'll start hating the process. And you might even try to avoid it. Another very human moment for Christ. And when he's praying in that garden while his friends are sleeping, he, he prays and he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In other words, Lord, if there's any other way possible for humanity to be saved, if there's any other way under the sun that we can, can provide them salvation, then let this cup pass from me. Let's try that. Let's try another method. If there's anything else that might work, let's try that. That's what he was praying. But thankfully, in that moment, Christ realizes that he is being planted and that there's loneliness when you're being planted. It's cold. It's dark sometimes when you're being planted. And in that moment, he follows with these words when he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Thank God that he understood the planting process. And some of you, you have no idea that this season of life that you are in, it's all part of the master's plan. Maybe you're going through a planting season right now, but it's all part of his plan and God is in control. You may not feel like it. It's not going according to your plans, but the last time I checked, the creator of the universe does not have to check with you. He does not have to check with me. And whatever he wants us to go through, we can go through it. And it's so much easier to go through it when you've got the right, right mindset and, and you're not saying, I'm, I'm buried. No, no, no. I'm, I'm planted. Some of you, you've, you've accepted this, this, this excuse of I, I'm just swamped right now. I'm just buried right now. There's too much of life that is being placed on me. I'm under so much pressure. Let's talk about this, um, this seed offering for a moment. Jesus Christ, the seed offering. In order for a seed to, to bear fruit, it's got to die. And I, I need us to talk about this because I, I went and did the research, and, and I'm not quite sure it works the way that I thought it worked. Because it, it doesn't actually die. It doesn't necessarily die the way that, that I envisioned it. What it actually does is the outer shell of the seed will die. The outer shell has to decay. The outer shell has to deteriorate. It, 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 it has to get out of the way for the new growth that is going to come forth out of it. And so it, it breaks apart. It dies. And, and some of you need to realize this process is that for some of us, and I have found myself here in this place many times in my life, there's a part of me that has to die in order for something that God wants to bring forth to have room to move and to come forth out of my life. The outer, my flesh, what Rocky wants sometimes, it, it has to decay, it has to deteriorate, it has to get out of the way for the growth that is about to come forth that God wants to, to, to come forth out of my life. But what I found out is that Within a seed, there's always life. If the seed completely dies, it's useless. I know this. We were given some grass seed for our property here at the church. And not long, at, well, actually it was too long. Because it sat back in a shed back here for eight, eight months to a year before we finally started scattering the seed. But sitting back there in that shed and the heat and everything, it, 
the grass seed, bags of it just died. It went away. We scattered it, but nothing happened. But when you have a seed that is still a live, living seed, even though the outer shell will die under the right conditions, you see, it, it has to be dark enough. It, it, it has to, to have the right temperature. It has to have just the right amount of moisture. And when it does, that, that outer shell will begin to, to break apart. It dies. And then what's living on the inside begins to, to come out. This is what happened with our Christ. Within a seed there is life, but it must die to its current state in order to grow and bear fruit. That's what happens with us. And what God wants to do in your life cannot be accomplished until your outer shell decays, deteriorates, gets out of the way. And some of you have been wondering why the world is crashing down upon you and you feel like you're just being buried six feet under when in reality you're just being planted. I need you to declare this over your life right now. You need you to declare this over your life. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm not being buried, I'm being planted. Tell them right now. Just make it vocal right now. I'm not being buried. I'm being planted. Look at the person on the other side and tell them, I'm not being buried. I'm being planted. Now explain to them why you chose them second. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Church, listen to me. Please listen to me. Listen, I, this fourth service I've attended today, the third one I've preached, I'm going to give it all to you, but you've got to go with me. Are you ready? Just because I'm under, it doesn't mean it's over. Just because I might be under, it doesn't, I might be buried in, in the moment, but, but it doesn't mean it's over. Listen, 2020, I was under so much pressure. It's amazing that I'm alive. It's amazing. My wife could testify to this. I'm, I'm shocked I didn't have a nervous breakdown. With the, the, the completion of this building and all of the mishaps that happened with that, with, with, with COVID and trying to navigate this church through all of that and, and, and the criticism that came from both sides, all of that stuff, um, losing some good friends in the process, losing my father, my father passing away. It, it was just a tough season for me but I, I, I felt like I was under so much pressure. But church, understand this. You might be under pressure, but it's not over. You might be under pressure, but it's not over. You, you might feel under the weather, but it's not over. You might be under heavy scrutiny, but it's not over. You might be under fire, but it's not over. You might have to go under the knife, but it's not over. You might be under arrest, but it's not over. And for the women at FWRC, you might be under lock and key, but it's not over. God still has plans for your life. Listen, you might have been thrown you might have been thrown under the bus, but it's not over. Last night, you might have been under the influence. That's why you had to come to the late service. You might be under the influence, but it's not over. They might have pulled the rug out from under you, but it's not over. And they may talk about you under their breath, but it's not over. It's not over. Because we have a, a resurrected Savior, it is not over. They thought that Jesus was down for the count. They thought that they had killed him. They thought that he was out of their hair for good. But it wasn't over because he wasn't buried. He was just planted. And he explained this to his disciples before they ever arrested him. The outer shell, it, it died, but his spirit was very much alive. The outer shell, that they crucified the outer shell. 
But God had some work to do below the surface before there would be any visible fruit on the surface. When a seed is planted, it grows deep before it grows tall. It develops a root system before it can spring forth and come up out of the earth. And the whole purpose of being planted is to allow God to develop roots inside of you that will sustain what God wants to do on the outside of you. What God accomplishes during the seizing of, of you being planted, it develops that root system that will sustain and support what God is going to do. Because listen, there are things that, that God is allowing this ministry to accomplish right now that if he would have done that in the first year, Rocky McKinley was too young and immature to, to handle that. I, I would have looked at that as, as, as my success. Let me tell you something about this church. None of it is my success. In spite of me, God has built this church. And some of you, if you would have been a part of this church when, when, when we first started, some of you were, they're few and far between, but if, if you would have been here then, there's no way you would have stuck around. But God planted me, and he grew me, and he matured me. Because sometimes you've you got to let God take the pride out of you. Sometimes you've got to let God take the fear out of you. During the season of planting, God will take the anxiety out of you. God will take this need to be heard, the need to be noticed. God will, will take all of that stuff out of you because it's, it's dying to self. The outer shell, the flesh of who Rocky was had to die in order for the fruit to come forth. And when Jesus died, there was some work to be done before we could see the fruit of his resurrection. That's where we want to get. And we're, we're going to get there in just a moment. I'm almost done. Stay with me, please. We, we all want to see the fruit of the resurrection. But what you have to understand is that there was some work that had to be done before the resurrection. After his death, before the resurrection. You know, we, we, we celebrate that on the third day that he rose again. But, but have you ever wondered what happened on the second day? The second day is so important because the second day is really what gives the resurrection on the third day the ground to stand on. It, it's the support system. It's the root system for what, for, for what is happening in our lives. Because what good would it have been if all of these, these faithful Old Testament saints who were faithful to God, if they never get to experience eternal life because they all died before Jesus, so they never got to call on the name of Jesus to be saved which is New Testament scripture. So, so what happens to all of these Old Testament saints that, that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, what happens to them at, at the resurrection of Christ? I'll tell you what happens. On day two, Jesus descended into hell. Sheol, Hades, and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You just thought he was sleeping on a slab. 
You thought that he was just in a cold tomb covered up in a sheet and a, and a cloth over his face. No, Jesus in his spirit, he descended into hell and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. See that? He was put to death in the flesh. The outer shell had to die, but he was still very much alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. He walked into hell, and he walked into Sheol, Sheol, and he walked into Hades, and he begins preaching the gospel. He begins sharing it with those Old Testament saints so that they too could see the salvation of the Lord. You, you, you get over to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, and Jesus speaks, and here's what he says about it. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So he tells you, I've been there, I've done that, I, I, I've already got all of this covered. He literally went to hell and back for those Old Testament saints. There was work that had to be done below the surface before anyone could see the fruit of an empty tomb above the surface because it gives it validity. It shows us the mercy and the grace of God. It helps us to understand that there is not one moment of our lives that has been disregarded by God, that God understands it and he sees it. If he can do that for the Old Testament saints, what can he do for those of us that came after Christ? That there's not one thing that you can go through in your life that he hasn't got a, a God's eye view on and his grace is great enough to cover every single sin. It's great enough to cover every single mishap. It's great enough to cover. It just covers. His grace is greater and he went down so that we could go up. He was planted and we become his fruit. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 35 and 36. He says, but someone will ask. I love how Paul talks. Listen, he says, someone's going to ask. He said, just get ready. Somebody's going to ask. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body did they, do they come? He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when we die to ourselves and we allow Christ to become Lord of our lives, that's when true life begins. Let me, let me explain something to you about, about this process. The planting process begins in allowing our old self to die and become alive in the spirit through salvation in Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to think that that's the only time that you're planted. What I have figured out in my life, and I think most people in the room that have been Christians for any significant amount of time, you can relate to this, is that as the timeline of my life goes on, I was planted here at the beginning of my Christian walk and resurrected in new life spring forth in new life with Christ Jesus. And every so often, God plants me again because I grow and I mature. And then I'll, I'll hit this roadblock where there's something in my life that God needs to work out. Many of us, and many times in my life, I look at it as life just stinks. Why me, God? Why? Why am I having to go through this? 
But what you have to understand is that God's planting you again in that situation, in that circumstance, so that he can grow you and mature you. And if you allow him to, the old self will die and new growth, new fruit, a new harvest comes forth. And then I'll continue moving through life. I'm stronger then than I was back then. And I'll continue moving through life. And I'll hit another little snag. And what I've begun to realize is that when I hit these moments in life, that there's something within Rocky that needs to change. God needs to change my root system a little bit. He needs to let Rocky die a little bit so that new fruit, new growth can come forth out of me. And it never stops. It's an ongoing process. But I tell you all of that to say this. It has to start here. Because I went for years thinking that Rocky could accomplish this on his own. It does not matter how great you think you are. You might be the nicest person on the planet. You might give everything that you have to the poor. You can try as hard as you want to to get it all right and be the best person. But if you are standing before a holy God on judgment day under your own ability and your own power, friend, you are just as lost as the rankest sinner on this planet. Because it's not by our own works. It all comes about because of his work and what he accomplished on the cross, but not just the cross, what he accomplished in his death, his burial, his planting, and his resurrection. It's all about what Christ did. And there's going to be a day that I'm standing before God Almighty, and my life is going to be on judgment. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that when I get to that moment, that I've got my advocate with me. That my Jesus that died for me, that he's going to be alive. And he's going to be standing there with me. Because if God has to judge me off my works and my accomplishments, I'm in trouble, church. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But I don't have to worry. Because I've made him the Lord of my life, he's going to stand there with me and he's going to look at the Father and he's going to say, it's okay. He's with me. And it's just grace. It's just grace. And you do not want to reach that place to where you're standing before God. And you don't have Christ standing with you. You don't want to reach that place to where you have to sit there and try to defend yourself because it'll never hold up in the court of a holy God. And so today I want to give you an opportunity to receive that forgiveness, to receive that grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, no one looking around.
I'm not going to embarrass you. It's not the way we do things around here. If you're sitting here and you know that it's time to die to self and be resurrected with everlasting life, to find forgiveness from all of your sin. If you're ready to receive Jesus Christ and his forgiveness in his life, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. No one's looking. This is me, you, and God right now. This very personal decision right now. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Would you please raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I promise you I will not embarrass you, but raise it high right now. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Leave it up. Leave it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Come on, raise it high. Raise it high. Leave it up. I need to know who I'm praying for. Put your hands down. Thank you. Church, if you will, look at me. There's 15 people in this room that said, I need Jesus. Amen. Listen, if you're in this room, we're going to help you with this. We're we're not going to abandon you in this. We're going to pray this prayer with you corporately all over this room we're going to pray this prayer if you're watching online i ask that you repeat this prayer also for any of the women at the florida women's reception center you you say this prayer also but we're going to say it together we're going to hold each other up this is just a simple prayer it's just a tool that we use to confess everything that we need to say in order to put our trust in christ at the moment we complete this prayer you need to understand that it is a new day for you it is a new slate for you Now you get to stand before God covered in His grace. Covered in the grace of Jesus Christ, the only one that that paid that price for you. So let's say this prayer together. Everyone, online, in person, let's say it together. Church, let's look to heaven and let's say it. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that He rose again, giving me eternal life And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray, amen, 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 amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.